I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Knock, knock. Who's there? Redeemable communist? Well, hey, come on in. Just don't try to fix anything. It's high noon for Tuesday, May 11th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab from time to time at I'm your moderator and go check out the merch site at cancelcotour.com. Now, if it gives you some weird loading page, just clear out your browser and try it again and it'll work or so I'm told. Today is the 111th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, communists. You voted for the end of the American Republic just so you could get the TV to stop yelling at you. And it hasn't stopped. But hey, at least you expressed yourself, right? And you continue to express yourself by still pretending that everyone around you was wrong the whole time, even as you can see in the real world that your very immature and irresponsible decision has caused untold negative consequences that just seem to be never-ending. For instance, now someone has hacked a gas pipeline that runs through the entire Southeast, you know, the red states. So now there are gas lines and gas shortages, despite how the New York Times is absolutely lying to the entire country about that. They straight up tweeted absolute propaganda saying that there are no lines and no gas shortages. All you need to have is a pair of functioning eyeballs. Even if it's only one eyeball, you can still watch video of Americans at gas stations in lines and gas stations closed down. But perhaps the New York Times doesn't think that that will ever be discovered by their audience. So they're happy to lie to them because all of them live in blue states where there's no problem. Isn't that amazing? And don't we live in just such a crazy time? I mean, it was only weeks ago that Mayor Pete was proposing that the government actually tax American citizens based on the miles they drive to limit their movement 
at the point where they were getting absolutely sick of being locked down based on a lie. And just weeks later, out of nowhere, (laughs) isn't it crazy? A whole gas pipeline gets hacked and goes down, raising everyone's fuel prices, causing the same exact effect. Gosh, that's incredible. And then the fuel prices will skyrocket and they'll stay high. And everybody will be like, yeah, you know, we got hacked. I guess it was Russia. Huh? No big deal. These people deserve none of your trust. Joe Biden, through his own fecklessness and senility, has allowed a group of totally incompetent people to let the country slip further and further away from its greatness. Continuing a total erosion of culture and society that plays exactly into the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. And of course it does. That's the goal. Now, touching on what I talked about at the end of yesterday's episode, consider this. What we experienced was an act of war. And the way it has been responded to by a certain class of people who believe themselves to be very smart and very responsible and very moral has been nothing but waiting around. For a year and a half, we still do not have an answer about where the virus originated. Of course, we do have an answer. That answer was just called a conspiracy theory for a year. And now people are coming out on the side of that answer, including the former CDC director, Robert Redfield. So the thing that they called a conspiracy theory is now clearly no longer a conspiracy theory. In fact, it is the obvious answer to what happened. But we have to pretend we don't know. Because we were told it was a conspiracy theory, which gave credence and gave weight to a ridiculous notion that somehow the virus just jumped out of a bat at the wet market and then infected the whole world, even though there is absolutely no proof anywhere of that, not even circumstantial proof. It was just an answer that we were given and that people accepted and then argued for because the other answer they were told was a conspiracy theory. And even at this late date, we still are being forced to pretend that it is unknowable whether or not the virus escaped from the lab. But it's actually not unknowable, okay? Unknowable things occur when there's no way in the world to actually get the information. There is a way in the world to get this information, though. The Chinese certainly have it, and I suspect Anthony Fauci has it. They just won't give it to us. That doesn't actually mean this is unknowable. And the fact that they won't give it to us is a very good argument to give added weight to that theory. So, too, is the fact that that theory means an act of war was committed against the United States. And our very responsible, very smart class 
has waited a year and a half to find out if that's true. That's what their response to an act of war is. They want utterly indisputable proof to the point where the most insane communist in the Democrat Party would believe it. But there is no level of proof that they'll believe because they don't want to believe it because the implications of believing it are too much for them to bear. They would actually have to take responsibility for the fact that they have lied for a year and a half now, that they have called all sorts of people conspiracy theorists while pushing the country further and further away from successfully executing this war that we find ourselves in. They chose not to take an act of war seriously because the TV told them it was a conspiracy theory. Even though the weight of evidence at that point, back at the beginning, still pointed to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And so people bristle when you say, well, these people clearly don't care about America or they outright hate America. They're like, you can't say that about somebody. That's not true. Really? How's it not true? You're certainly not making a jealous defense of your country by refusing to admit that the obvious cause of the coronavirus is a conspiracy theory. That's not loving the country. Asking the country to wait 18 months while the act of war becomes more and more severe and more layers of that war are piled on. Chinese interference in the election, for instance. Chinese Communist Party influence throughout our universities and tech companies and corporations and media and entertainment as we're convinced of the Black Lives Matter lie and the idea that Black Lives Matter and Antifa are not a domestic terrorist organization. Chinese cyber attacks, China threatening Hong Kong and Taiwan, China having concentration camps. All of that influences America's standing in the world. Joe Biden is compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. The proof is indisputable. It's on Hunter Biden's laptop. If you want to not think the laptop's real, well, commie, you're not very smart. You got told a story, you believed it, and now you battle against the truth in service of that story and its preservation. Why? Because you have a personal stake in not being the person that allowed this to happen, except you are the person that allowed it to happen. And everyone wants to see the country account for that fact. That's what we want. We want you to understand what you have done and figure out how to turn that around for yourself, for your friends and family, for your community, and ultimately for your nation. Again, I voted for Al Gore, John Kerry, Barack Obama twice, and Hillary Clinton. I have made every single good argument your side has, and I've made it better than you do. Eventually, I found out I had been lied to by the media and by my culture, by my university, 
And I understood that turning around and saying, hey, wow, I was really wrong. Now I'm going to do everything I possibly can to reverse that. And what was the difference? Did my priorities change? Did my morality change? Not really. Maybe slightly. As a result of realizing that a lot of things that I believed led me down the wrong paths. But I have wanted to have compassion and wanted to help people in the same way you think you do. The difference between us is not our politics. It is our information. And I'm sorry, Kami, you don't have any. I talk to you guys all the time. And you don't know anything. Like I said yesterday, you can't even explain what you believe. You don't even know a shred of what I believe. So here's another hour's worth of examples of how all the people you trust on the TV are lying to you and how easy it is to tell. Now, this is from the Daily Caller today. The CDC has been dramatically overstating outdoor transmission, according to epidemiologists. Shocking. I've talked about this a zillion times. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention exaggerated the rate of outdoor transmission of the coronavirus, according to a report by the New York Times. Hear that? New York Times. That means they might be telling you the truth, Kami, right? You can trust them. The CDC announced in April that a majority of COVID-19 transmission happens indoors with, quote, less than 10 percent of documented transmission occurring outdoors. The New York Times, however, reported the number is misleading and based on a misclassification of how some cases of the virus were spread. Virologist at the University of St. Andrews, Dr. Uh, Muj uh, Chevik, said the number, quote, seems to be a huge exaggeration, according to the New York Times. The New York Times reports outdoor transmission appears to be less than 1% and could even be lower than 0.1%. The transmission that does occur outside is typically a result of crowded spaces, according to the report. The CDC's claim that COVID-19 transmissions are less than 10% is reportedly deceiving. There is not a single documented COVID infection anywhere in the world from casual outdoor interactions, such as walking past someone on a street or eating at a nearby table, the New York Times reported. Got that? Everybody thinks that I'm like using hyperbole or exaggeration when I say things like there is not one documented case of this anywhere in the world. There you go. Now the New York Times says it. Is it okay when they say it? Is it hyperbole when they say it? Everyone always acts like because you say something directly and forcefully and use strong language to describe it, that you must be exaggerating or overboard or hyperbolic. No, Kami, I'm telling you the truth. There is not one. The New York Times said it. I've been saying it forever. Just another of the million reasons why California had absolutely no justification for closing outdoor dining at any point. For instance, the justification was what the justification has always been. No one would believe them if they were around other people. So the reason to lock people down is so that people can't have conversations with others 
face-to-face. You eliminate the opportunity for those discussions, and then you push people into silos. And when one of those silos is the mainstream media tech entertainment conglomerate of total disinformation, then what you get is a party full of absolute mindless drones, which is how you can go out and elect a man who was mentored by a Klansman and say you're doing it for black people. Kind of amazing how that works, isn't it, commies? And speaking of this outdoor transmission thing, I was driving home from the gym today and saw a dude walking down the sidewalk with and he looks like just like a a pudgy millennial, like exactly what you think a person doing what I'm about to describe would look like. He's wearing a shirt that says, OK, Boomer. And walking down the sidewalk, he begins putting his mask on when he notices someone's walking the other way on the sidewalk. And this guy in his own little commie child brain, believes he's saving people. This is like a childhood fantasy. This is all it takes for millennial men to imagine that they're being chivalrous and that they're the hero of the story. I'm going to make a shirt that says, okay, commie. Back to the article. The method the CDC used to come up with the 10% figure is reportedly skewed since it is based on a large number of outdoor transmission cases that occurred at construction sites in Singapore. One study cited in the report found that 95 cases out of 10,926 cases worldwide were instances of outdoor transmission, with all 95 cases coming from construction sites in Singapore. Another study cited by the New York Times found that four out of 103 cases were classified as having occurred from outdoor transmission, and all four cases were from Singapore construction sites. The second study did note, however, that existing evidence supports the wide-held belief that risk of SARS-CoV-2 transmission is lower outdoors. Oh, wow. So the most obvious thing happens to also be supported by this bad data. Got it. Amazingly, in the hearings that just concluded in the Senate, the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, just talked about this study and did not mention that these cases came from the same place. She said that that was just a study of studies. It was a review. So, you know, Not her fault. It was a real study. Doesn't matter that they didn't bother analyzing the study or contextualizing the study for the American people. No, they went and used the bad numbers and now they explain it away because, hey, it was a real study. The New York Times explains the data from Singapore comes from a government base that does not put construction site cases in the outdoor transmission category. We didn't classify it According to Outdoors or Indoors, spokesman for the Ministry of Health, uh, Yapwei Kiang, I hope I'm saying that right, told the New York Times. It could have been workplace transmission where it happens outdoors at the site, or it could have happened indoors within the construction site. So really, they have no idea. Except they do have an idea. Because if you are the only place in the entire world where the transmission occurred outdoors, but you don't really know it occurred outdoors, guess where it occurred? Ah, 
indoors. Further, researchers gave a broad definition to outdoor spaces that included any space that was a mix of both indoor and outdoor facilities, according to the New York Times. We had to settle on one classification for building sites, French researcher and co-author of research analyzed by the New York Times told the outlet, and ultimately decided on a conservative outdoor definition. Another study by the Journal of Infection and Public Health only counted two settings as indoors, mass accommodation and residential facilities. It counted workplace, healthcare, education, social events, travel, catering, leisure, and shopping as outdoor settings. Okay. At some of the construction sites where COVID-19 transmission occurred in Singapore, the exterior construction for the project was finished prior to when the pandemic began. According to the report, Alex Awe of advocacy group Transient Workers Count 2, Jesus, told the New York Times that since Singapore is warm year round, many workers, including electricians and plumbers, would like would have likely held meetings and ate lunch indoors to avoid the heat contributing to COVID-19 transmission. Other studies have found the rate of outdoor transmission could be far lower than 10% as well, with a study from Ireland, which seems to have been more precise about the definition of outdoors, putting outdoor transmission at 0.1%, according to the report. Another study from China found that out of 7,324 cases, only one was the result of outdoor transmission. The CDC later told the New York Times the 10% figure is, quote, a conservative estimate from a recent systematic review of peer-reviewed papers, end quote, and that, quote, the data we do have supports the hypothesis that the risk of outdoor transmission is low, end quote. Again, this is what Rochelle Walensky repeated today. Why don't they say what it actually is? Saying that it's low does nothing when on the other side you release guidances that say that everybody who is unvaccinated has to stay masked outside and that vaccinated people shouldn't mix with unvaccinated people outside. Okay, CDC, you can't say both of those things unless you're trying to intentionally mislead the American people, which, of course, is exactly what they're trying to do and exactly what they've done the whole time. If they were being honest, they would say there's not a single documented case of outdoor transmission in the entire world. And there are zero or almost zero documented cases of asymptomatic spread. Or it's almost impossible for a child to die of COVID. Why don't they say those things? They give you tons of reasons why they need to put plastic shields between students in schools, even though there's no science behind that whatsoever. The CDC happily discusses with the teachers unions what they would like, how long they would like to stay out of school. They got no problem incorporating that into the science. But they'll just say it's low. Oh, it's low. Well, it's definitely less than 10%, according to these studies. Oh, so one out of 10? That kind of sounds like a lot for me just walking by someone's table on the sidewalk. Man, I better mask up outdoors for that. That misleads the American people. That thought 
has turned into an obsession for the communists. Why? There was never anything behind it. The CDC could have cleared this up at any time and just said there is an infinitesimally small chance of anyone contracting this virus while walking past another person outside. And that number would drop even well below that when you're talking about combining outdoor transmission and asymptomatic transmission. So now you have two things with absolutely minuscule odds of happening and you need them to both happen at the same time, which is virtually impossible. And even with that being true, the CDC goes with the other story and allows the country to continue being scared by this. That's not the CDC being conservative. It's the CDC lying. You cannot simultaneously know the truth about the odds of transmission in those circumstances and then also give guidances on masking something you have no proof that works. Giving guidances for that exact situation. That is not responsible public health. And what a disappointment it would have been for this article not to include Nazi Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dr. Anthony Fauci said in April that it was common sense that outdoor transmission of the coronavirus is minuscule. I think it's pretty common sense now that outdoor risk is really, really quite low. Particularly, I mean, if you are a vaccinated person wearing a mask outdoors, I mean, obviously, the risk is minuscule, Fauci said while on ABC's this week. Did you guys catch all the data in his response? It's pretty common sense now that outdoor risk is really, really quite low, particularly, I mean, if you are a vaccinated person wearing a mask outdoors, I mean, obviously, the risk is minuscule. Could you imagine having a conversation with your doctor about cancer or a pregnancy? And your doctor sounded like that? What would you think? Oh, wow, I I need to get a new doctor. I think my doctor might be retarded. A string of studies also recently found that with low outdoor transmission, outdoor mask mandates should be reduced. Oh, reduced. How did the study come up with that? The Daily Caller has reached out to the CDC but did not receive a response at the time of publication. So what we have is yet another example where a year, 15 months, 18 months later, we are getting information that was fully available back then presented to us as if it's brand new, something we just found out. None of it is stuff we just found out. There was never at any point a risk of outdoor transmission, particularly not from asymptomatic people. Now let's check in with Nazi doctor Anthony Fauci. Dr. Fauci, do you still support funding of the NIH funding of the lab in Wuhan. Senator Paul, with all due respect, you are entirely and completely incorrect that the NIH has not ever and does not now 
fund gain of function research in the Wuhan Institute. Do they fund Barrick? All right. So let's consider that statement to be Anthony Fauci's thesis performance, right? That's his ultimate statement in what you're about to hear between Rand Paul and Roger Marshall in their questioning of Anthony Fauci at the Senate hearings today. Anthony Fauci wants everyone to know that neither the NIH or NIAID funded gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Now, let's check out whether or not his story about that changes. We do not fund... You fund gain, Dr. Barrett's gain-of-function research? D- Dr. Barrett does not doing gain-of-function research, and if it is... It's according to the guidelines, and it is being conducted in North Carolina. Now, that is a, an amazing answer. Dr. Barrick is not doing gain-of-function research, but if he is, it's according to their guidelines, so there's nothing wrong with it, which is basically the same as saying he is doing it, and we have these guidelines in place. So if something went wrong, it's not our fault. Not you don't think inserting a bat virus spike protein that he got from the Wuhan Institute into the SARS virus is gain of function. That is you would not be in the minority because at least 200 scientists have signed a statement from the Cambridge Working yeah. Group saying that it is gain of function. Oh, man. There's other the science besides what Anthony Fauci says. How's he going to deal with other the science? Well, it is not. And if you look at the grant. And you look at the uh, progress reports, it is not gain of function, despite the fact that people tweet that. So according to the grants and the progress reports, it's not gain of function research. As long as we have these very authoritative sources like grants and progress reports, that's how we can know that the research he definitely was doing, that scientists in the real world, actual experts, understand he was doing. None of that is actually true because you can just look at the grant. That's an even worse explanation than the one where they say we know the election was legitimate because Chris Krebs said it was the most secure election in history, even while knowing that multiple foreign nations had interfered with it. So do you still support sending money to the Wuhan Virology Institute? We do not send money now to the the Wuhan uh, Virology Institute. We support sending money. We did, under your tutelage. We were sending it through EcoHealth. It was a sub-agency and a sub-grant. Do you support the money from NIH that was going to the Wuhan Institute? Let me explain to you why that was done. Got that? So NIH and NIAID don't send money to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But as soon as Rand Paul specified his question and noted that they send that money through EcoHealth Alliance, which is Peter Daszak, all of a sudden now Anthony Fauci has to explain why that was done, which is a much different position than we didn't do that. Once again, this is how they disseminate responsibility. It wasn't the NIH or NIAID who sent money to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. We sent it to these other people who then sent it to them. And that's way different. And you'd understand that if you were a scientist. The SARS-CoV-1 originated in bats in China. 
it would have been irresponsible of us if we did not investigate the bat viruses and the serology to see who might have been or, or perhaps it would be possible to send it to the Chinese government that we may not be able to trust with this uh, knowledge and with this uh, incredibly dangerous viruses. Got it. So not doing the gain of function research with which Anthony Fauci has actually advocated for throughout his career, not doing that research would be irresponsible. But it's important to note that it was not irresponsible to give it to the Chinese. And Anthony Fauci is on record in support of gain of function research. He has written in favor of gain of function research. Government scientists like yourself who favor gain of function research. I don't favor gain of function research in China. You are saying things that are not correct. Government defenders of gain of function, such as yourself, say that COVID-19 mutations were random and not designed by man. But interestingly, the technique that Dr. Barrick developed forces mutations by serial passage through cell culture that the mutations appear to be natural. In fact, Dr. Barrick named the technique the noceum technique because the mutations appear naturally. Nicholas Baker of the New York Magazine said nobody would know if the virus had been fabricated in a laboratory or grown in nature. Government authorities in the U.S., including yourself, unequivocally deny that COVID-19 could have escaped a lab. But even Dr. Xi in Wuhan wasn't so sure. According to Nicholas Baker, Dr. Xi wondered, could this new virus have come from her own laboratory? She checked her records frantically and found no matches. That really took a load off my mind, she said. I had not slept for days. The director of the gain-of-function research in Wuhan couldn't sleep because she was terrified that it might be in her lab. Dr. Barrick, an advocate of -of gain-of-function research, admits the main problem that the Institute of Virology has is the outbreak occurred in close proximity. What are the odds? Barrick responded, could you rule out a laboratory escape? The answer in this case is probably not. Will you, in front of this group, categorically say that the COVID-19 could not have occurred through serial passage in a laboratory? Well, that's going to leave a mark. Pretty happy with how Rand is asking these questions. This is what you have to do. Put him in an absolute situation. Can you say beyond a shadow of a doubt this? Because Anthony Fauci is just going to say no, and everyone's going to believe him because he has the science. But it turns out most of his no's are actually, well, yeah, maybe yes. I do not have any accounting of what the Chinese may have done, and I'm fully in favor of any further investigation of what went on in China. So he has no idea what the Chinese did, but he knows it wasn't him. And he's really in favor of a full investigation, even though he said countless times that he trusts the WHO and he trusts their assessment even though their assessment was Peter Daszak in the lab for one day. However, I will repeat again, the NIH and NIAID categorically has not funded gain-of-function research to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You support it in the U.S. We have 11 labs doing it, and you have allowed it here. We have a committee to do it, but the committee has granted every exemption. You're... You're fooling with Mother Nature here. You're allowing super viruses to be created with a 15% mortality. It's very dangerous. I think it was a huge mistake to share this with China, and it's a huge mistake to allow this to continue in the United States. 
and we should be very careful to investigate where this virus came from. I fully agree that you should investigate where the virus came from, but again, we have not funded gain-of-function research on this virus in the Wuhan Institute of Virology, no matter you're how many words, you're parsing you say words. it, there it was research. Happen. There was research done with Dr. Xi and Dr. Barrick. They have collaborated on gain-of-function research where they enhanced the SARS virus to infect human airway cells, and they did it by merging a new spike protein on it. That is gain-of-function. That was joint research between the Wuhan Institute and Dr. Barrick. You can't deny it. Senator Paul, your time, time is expired. Now. Hearing that and hearing his responses, do you believe his original statement that the NIH and NIAID did not fund gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology? He tries to give the only possible explanation that isn't dishonest by making it overly specific. But when each part of that claim is broken down, you can find how the original claim actually doesn't map onto reality at all. But let's see how Nazi Dr. Anthony Fauci does with Senator Roger Marshall, an actual doctor. Fauci, do you think it's possible that COVID-19 arose from a lab accident at a lab in Wuhan and should it be fully investigated? That possibility certainly exists, and I'm totally in favor of a full investigation of whether that could have happened. Great. Is it possible COVID-19 is not naturally occurring? Again, that is a possibility. I don't know if we're ever going to be able to approve that, but you always need to open up and leave all possibilities, which is the reason why I and so many of my colleagues are very much in favor of what the WHO said, that they want to go back again and take another look in there and see what was going on in that lab. Well, as long as the communist WHO, a group fully captured by the Chinese Communist Party, goes in and looks, I guess that's all we need. Anthony Fauci fully supports another investigation by the same group of people that has lied for 18 months. This is the Oracle of Science. And will you commit to get this committee, all the records, anything to do with any type of viral experiment, say from 2013 to the present, so we can review those? Certainly, I would comply with any request of the committee. Do you and others at NIH have a conflict of interest when determining if the labs and lab work you help fund should be investigated and how it's investigated? No, I don't think it's a conflict of interest. We're very open and wanting to make sure that everything that has any question is looked into at all. I have no problem with that. Okay. So then naturally, one would expect Anthony Fauci to be fully compliant with all of this and give up as much information as he possibly can so that the country can find out the answer to this critical question. Is that going to happen? In 2013, President Obama placed a moratorium on viral gain-of-function studies with some loopholes, which you uh, were able to, to, to use at certain times. I know we disagree. I don't know if we disagree. We can discuss what's viral gain-of-function and what isn't. But in 2017, you had a long process, and I assume it was you that decided to lift this moratorium. And during this review, my question is this. During the review, did you 
consider the risk of dual applications by military, terrorists, or other foreign actors? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean by that, Senator. Do, uh, did I consider applications from dual actors? I, yeah. you know, we. I'll say it again. Did, did you consider the risk of dual application? That there might be other folks that would use some of the the sure. function that, of uh, discoveries that they might be used by a military a terrorist sure, or other foreign actors. Well, in any research that we do, we publish the research. It's available for anyone to use it in any manner in which they can. That's the that's the you know modus operandi of the NIH. We fund research. The research is, is made a, is public. Is there a national security consideration, though, in, in that type of decision? With think, thinking the biogain of function well, is could be more powerful than the nuclear weapons. To no, but to share that information with with a with a government right. uh, foreign actor, maybe considered would have been like uh, trying to do yeah. uh, the Manhattan Project in, in nuclear energy, nuclear weapons, doing it with say Hitler or the sure. Soviet Union. I'm not sure what you're getting at, Senator, but uh, we don't fund research. We have committees that look at that. Got that? So the NIH and NIAID don't fund research, but also they do fund research, but also they don't, and it's a committee that does it. And as long as it's a committee that does it, that means it's not Anthony Fauci doing it. And he's not sure where exactly that question is going, except that it's obviously about, hey, Nazi doctor, I know you say this research is vital, but do you ever consider that this research could actually be turned against us and have a terrible consequence? To make sure that research that is of any potential danger is not funded. So I'm not exactly sure what, what your point is. My point is, is there national security implications with something as theoretically uh, lethal as, as viral gain of function. Sure there is. That's why we have committees. So he recognizes the danger to national security. But that's why they have committees. And as long as you have a committee, nothing bad can happen. We have a P3CO committee, which is the potential pathogen, pandemic pathogen, care and observation and oversight. Excuse me. Hey, Anthony, that was four P's. And that's a committee separate from the NIH that looks at these types of grants to see if they need to be funded. So there is a considerable amount of oversight to make sure grants that are doing research that would obviously be of danger is not. So, when you so they don't fund, but they do fund. And he's not doing it. A committee is doing it. And the committee makes sure that there's no danger. And that's what looks at the grants, you know, the funding. To make sure it's not dangerous, and now we know it's not dangerous because the committee is there. And if it turns out it is dangerous, then don't worry, it didn't come from the place they funded. And if it did, it's probably because the committee must have missed something. But the committee's there to make sure there's no danger, so this couldn't be dangerous. The decision to stop the moratorium on gain of function... Was were there national security advisors right. in the in the room? Was there State Department? Was there Defense Department? Who who were those people no. that might have been part of that decision? The Nazi doctor seems to be having trouble speaking and forming words. Sounds like he's getting pretty frustrated. First of all, I did not make the decision to stop the pause and gain of function. If one looks at what actually happened, 
we put a pause on, and I was the one that was very much in favor of that pause. So Anthony Fauci was in favor of the pause on gain-of-function research, presumably because he understood the dangers involved with gain-of-function research. But really, it wasn't his decision. Again, it was a committee. In, your in, 2000, in 2014 okay. to 2017, the pause was lifted because we established a committee that looked at what we called P3CO. I'm familiar with it. Right, exactly. And when that committee then was able to make decisions about granting apart from the NIH so that we would not have any decision in it, it would be a decision. I got one last. Got it? He came right out and said it. They have the committee so that the NIH and NIAID are not involved in the decisions, which is strange because we actually do want input from our federal government into these sorts of decisions. That's what the agencies are for. Question I want to sneak in. I still don't know that you answered. Was there national security people in the room when you when that process that someone made the decision? I think you led that decision. But We'll come back to that. Here's my last question. If COVID-19 is indeed a part product of lab manipulation, can you sit here and unequivocally say the viral studies that NIH funded, helped fund, could not be indirectly or directly related to this final COVID-19 virus? Yeah, looking at this experiments that were done that we funded, there would not be that possibility. Oh, well, I guess that settles it. Unequivocally. Well, you know, they're talking about a, uh, a hybrid virus of a mouse virus that was adapted to a mouse that anyone that knows anything about virology would realize that that is not something that would infect the human much less be pathogenic and transmissible but and we helped make the mouse that had the hla receptor that this COVID 19 was specific for and, and you were nih was involved in the development of yeah. that humanized mouse yeah yes but it's always interesting how quickly we can go from no to well yes but as i mentioned in response to Senator Paul, the NIH and NIAID did not fund gain-of-function research to be conducted at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And now we're right back where we started from, with his ultra-specific claim that these two agencies did not directly fund this research at that place. And he can say this because he defines what kind of research that is and where it happened. But that's not my question. You know, the question is, could some of the some of the funding you did, you can call it gain of function or not, developing the HLA receptor at the mouse. I'm not sure if you're going to call that gain of function or not. Probably not. But could could some of the funding indirectly ended up to the contribution of this of COVID-19? I, 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 I'm not sure exactly where that question is going. I mean, you could do research on something as benign as looking at something that has nothing to do with it and it could indirectly someday somehow be involved. So if you want to trap me into saying yes or no, I'm not going to play that game. Tony, don't play that. It's always amazing how pathological liars like Anthony Fauci choose not to answer questions directly. If the answer was no, say no. But, but we need to look at that very, very deeply and consider exactly what that's why you've committed earlier to make sharing all the the viral i'd be happy to share any information you would like with the committee yes you're so forthcoming now let's change subjects without a segue donald trump with a statement last night from bedminster new jersey 
The major Michigan election fraud case has just filed a bombshell pleading, claiming votes were intentionally switched from President Trump to Joe Biden. The number of votes is massive and determinative. This will prove true in numerous other states. All Republicans must unify and not let this happen. If a thief robs a jewelry store of all its diamonds, the 2020 presidential election, the diamonds must be returned. The fake news media refuses to cover the greatest election fraud in the history of our country. They have lost all credibility, but ultimately they will have no choice. And that's exactly right. They will have no choice because the truth is coming out and nothing can stop it. And you know who knows that better than anyone? In three weeks time, that was the plan. When Arizona Republicans ordered an audit of the presidential election results, they planned to get it all done in three weeks. They rented a fancy auditorium. They got color-coded T-shirts for all the ballot counters. Over the course of these three weeks, they said they would look at every single ballot cast for president in the most populous county in Arizona. That's actually not something they said. And it really doesn't matter how long it takes, does it, Rachel? Except your torture gets extended. And we think that's hysterical. All 2.1 million of those votes, they would look at those ballots so carefully using such magic technology, they would find the widespread voter fraud that they're sure must somehow exist, even though nobody else can see it. Actually, Rachel, more than 50% of the country can see it. And the truth is the percentage is probably far higher than that. You don't see it because you don't look. Your audience doesn't see it because you lie to them. We're now in the third and supposed to be final week of the election audit in Arizona. They're still searching for the phantom fraud. I am continually astounded by the lack of respect she has for her own audience. She's honestly just making silly faces and hand gestures this whole time. They're searching for the phantom fraud that definitely couldn't have happened. And that's why we need to make sure to shut the audit down. But at the end of this week, Friday of this week, they have to pack up their ballot counting tables. They have to pack up their fraud detecting magic light boxes and their colored T-shirts because Friday, the end of this week, They need to give the event space back. That same auditorium is booked for high school graduations. Technically, they just need to move their stuff for the weekend, which is totally possible. You know how easy it is, right, Rachel? Moving stuff? Even magic light boxes, a.k.a. cameras and ultraviolet lights. I know it's all mystical and magical, like it doesn't even exist. It's a unicorn of technology, which is a problem because in the two and a half weeks they have already spent on this wild goose chase, this so-called audit has only gone through fewer than 300,000 ballots out of more than two million cast. What do you think would take less time? A quick search over ballots just to recount them? Or if they found problems, would that take more time? They should be horrified about the fact that it's taking this long. And finishing almost 15% of a 2.1 million sample size is no small feat. They have already found plenty of fraud, Rachel. Which means uh, it's not going to be done by Friday, but they have to leave. (laughs) There are few things more delightful 
than communist brains exploding to the point where they can only do their insecure chuckle like <laughs> you guys know that we're right and that everyone else is stupid don't you <laughs> they're never they're never going to find anything Last week, one of the Arizona Republicans overseeing this clown show admitted that there might be a little tiny problem with time here. He said by his estimate, a hand recount of the ballots wouldn't be done this week. Maybe it would go till July. Now, why is that a little tiny problem? Why is that a problem? They can just keep going. She keeps lying to her audience. This is the Arizona State Senate that is doing this audit. This isn't a clown show. This is the Arizona State Senate, and they're about to put out more subpoenas for more information because the Arizona Board of Supervisors has gotten caught big time. And so is the Soros funded sheriff. Whether it is July or August or Halloween, presumably they'll eventually reach the bottom of the pile. The, this the the make believe audit of the election results in Arizona will eventually end, maybe. But what's becoming clear is that the Arizona election audit was not the main event here. Perhaps it was a rehearsal for what Republicans are going to try to do all over the country so they can keep alive this fantasy. Ah, yes. Brilliant. That's what they're doing. They're trying to trick the American public into believing this obviously fraudulent election was, in fact, a fraud until 2022. That's what they're going to try to do. Just pull the wool over everyone's eyes for another year and a half. That somehow election fraud is what explains why Donald Trump appeared to have lost his bid for reelection in 2020. Yes, that is the explanation. But you're missing something, and that's that for more than half the country, Donald Trump did not appear to lose. Look in Georgia. Just like Arizona, Biden won the state of Georgia in the November election. But again, just like Arizona, Donald Trump and his Republican allies said the election in Georgia was a sham and riddled with fraud. Now, Trump, former, former Trump advisor Peter Navarro uh, says once the recount is Arizona, in Arizona is done and dusted, they're going to drag the whole audit operation to Georgia next. Navarro telling the pro-Trump news outlet OAN that the scale of the so-called voter fraud in Georgia is much larger than in Arizona. So he says this is where the audit scheme should be run, should be run next. Well, yeah, that's correct. The audit scheme should go there next and to Michigan and to Wisconsin and to Pennsylvania. And to Nevada, to New York, to California, to Iowa, to New Hampshire to North Carolina. Do you spot the trend? It's going to go everywhere, Rachel. And yeah, Peter Navarro's correct about the other thing too. Georgia has over 400,000 ballots without any chain of custody. Ballots that were just brought in, claimed to be through the drop boxes, but it doesn't matter. Ballots were brought in. We have Ruby Freeman, on video, putting ballots, secret ballots that they held under the table all day, putting those ballots through the machines over and over and over again once everyone else was sent home because of a pipe burst. That never happened. We also had an extra legal consent decree signed by Stacey Abrams and Brad Raffensperger. 
They went around the legislature. Then Brian Kemp refused to call the legislature back in for a special session. Why? Well, because his daughter's boyfriend was blown up in a car. They're not trying to move on from this. This is not a one-off thing they're going to do and then move on to other stuff. This is what they're going to do now. The Arizona thing is the first one, but they're going to do this traveling audit circus <laughs> dragged around from one state to the next to try to keep this thing going. They're going to put partisans and conspiracy theorists in charge of faux official seeming audits and recounts and other processes, holding them up under the fake fraud detecting lights, working around the high school graduations, right? They're just going to keep doing this over and over and over again until... How long can they keep it going? This is their new plan for what the Republican Party is doing around the country. Keep a watchful eye on this space. Well, at least she's figured out it's not stopping anytime soon or anytime at all until every single vote has been verified. And that's actually what the Arizona election audit people said specifically last night. Every single vote will be verified. It doesn't matter how long it takes. And none of us care. All this is, is a march into the destruction of the Democrat Party and the media and the old guard. Just as I said it would be over a year ago. Not joking. And her panic at the end there is totally real. You can see it on her face. Keep an eye on this space. This is what they're going to do now. Wait, I I thought you were just saying that it was going to be over and it needed to end soon. But now they can just do it for a while. In fact, they're going to do it everywhere. Thanks for letting everyone know, Rachel. Thank goodness it's just a, a fake audit with fake machines. But here's... The router story, as told by Code Monkey Z, a.k.a. Ron Watkins. And, you know, I guess I should have said Ron Watkins, a.k.a. Code Monkey Z. But truthfully, more people know him as Code Monkey Z. Now, this, yes, is the same person that idiots think is Q. Because they saw it on an HBO documentary where the documentarian had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. Dominion allegedly ran the election in Maricopa County. Maricopa County allegedly never had the admin credentials and effectively ceded the ownership of the election to an outside vendor. Jack Sellers, chairman of Maricopa County Supervisors, said in a press release that the network routers used by the Elections Department are shared across 50 different county departments. The routers contain confidential information and info about classified law enforcement activities. He notes that whoever has access to this router could potentially intercept sensitive data. In a last-ditch effort, Maricopa County Supervisors hold an emergency meeting to find a way to deflect the router subpoena. That's coming. They're not going to deflect it. They are O for forever in terms of deflections. They've delayed a lot. They've exposed themselves as complicit in the fraud quite a bit, but they haven't gotten anything deflected. The geniuses decide they will ask George Soros's puppet, Maricopa County Sheriff Penzone, 
to release a statement claiming that the Elections Department router is used by law enforcement. In said letter, Sheriff Penzone clarifies that any private vendor who has access to the router would be able to expose vulnerable classified data, regardless of any steps taken by said private vendor who may say otherwise. Now we have a conundrum. It's alleged that Dominion ran the election and had control of the routers since Maricopa County never even had the admin passwords to the machines. Sheriff Penzone confirmed that any outside vendor who had access to the routers will be able to expose classified law enforcement data, regardless of what the vendor says or promises to do. Did Dominion, a private vendor, allegedly with access to the election's router, have access to law enforcement networks via the router? Did George Soros have access to the elections network via his puppet who runs the law enforcement network? What are the other 49 networks also on that router? Why do election servers need to be connected to 50 different unrelated networks? Was election data modified by other networks sharing the same router? Was Hammer and Scorecard deployed in Maricopa County? Demand that router audit. And isn't that interesting? In an attempt for them to shut down the audit and deprive the state Senate of material that they have subpoenaed, they actually just admitted bigger problems with what they've done. These people are so stupid. And now finally, I want to mention this great piece by Julie Kelly in American Greatness. Why is the government hiding January 6th video footage? The American public still doesn't know exactly what happened on January 6th, and it's clear the government will use any means necessary to keep it that way. This is from yesterday. Joe Biden calls it the worst attack since the Civil War. Attorney General Merrick Garland compares it to the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. The FBI is breaking down the doors of Iraq war veterans and small business owners who have no criminal records. And some are hauled off to rot in solitary confinement in a fetid D.C. jail for their involvement in the alleged travesty. The event, of course, is the roughly four hour long disturbance at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. As mostly nonviolent Americans dared to protest Congress's certification of a clearly fraudulent presidential election in a place that was once considered the people's house, lawmakers scurried for cover as reporters and photographers captured part of the ruckus on video and still shots to wield as political ammunition against Donald Trump and his supporters. But have we seen a full and fair depiction of exactly what happened that day? The answer, as evidenced by an ongoing cover up by the U.S. Capitol Police and the Justice Department, clearly is no. Almost all the January 6th footage seen by the public isn't from official government sources, but by social media users and journalists on the scene. For example, the widely viewed footage of protesters occupying the Senate chamber was recorded by a New Yorker journalist. But thousands of hours of real-time footage is in the hands of the Capitol Police. And that agency, along with government lawyers and federal judges, is using every legal trick possible to keep the trove hidden from the public, even as clips are presented in court as evidence against the hundreds of of January 6th defendants. According to an affidavit filed in March by Thomas DiBiase, the Capitol Police Department's general counsel, the building is monitored 24-7 by an extensive system of cameras positioned both inside and outside the building, as well as near other congressional offices on the grounds. The system captured more than 14,000 hours of footage between noon and 8 p.m. on January 6th. The archive was made available to two Democrat-controlled congressional committees, the FBI and the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department. After a request by C Congress, the agency reportedly handed over footage from the entire 24-hour period. 
Capitol Police also produced selective clips for Democrat House impeachment managers to use in the trial against Donald Trump. But Capitol Police argue that making all the tapes available to defense attorneys, let alone to the American public, could provoke future violence. The department has significant concerns with the release of any of its footage to defendants in the Capitol attack cases unless there are safeguards in place to prevent its copying and dissemination, DiBiase wrote March 17th. Our concern is that providing unfettered access to hours of extremely sensitive information to defendants who have already shown a desire to interfere with the democratic process will be passed on to those who might wish to attack the Capitol again. Unbelievable. The Justice Department in numerous cases is seeking protective orders to rigorously limit how surveillance video is handled by defense attorneys. Recordings have been deemed highly sensitive government material subject to onerous rules. The accused only have access to the evidence in a supervised setting. Clips cannot be copied, downloaded, shared, or reproduced in any fashion. Defense counsel may not provide a copy of highly sensitive materials to defendant or permit defendant to view such materials unsupervised by defense counsel or an attorney, investigator, paralegal, or support staff person employed by the defense counsel. Judge Amit Mehta wrote in a protective order related to the conspiracy case against members of the Oath Keepers. The parties agree that defense counsel or an attorney, investigator, paralegal or support staff person employed by defense counsel may supervise defendant by allowing access to highly sensitive materials through a cloud based delivery system that permits defendant to view the materials, but does not permit defendant the ability to download. Sounds legit. Fighting back against the blackout. But defense attorneys and the media are now fighting the video blackout. During a detention hearing last month for the two men accused of spraying Officer Brian Sicknick, both have been behind bars and denied bail since their arrest in March, defense lawyers objected to the government's use of cherry-picked video they couldn't see in its full context, which, if examined, might contain exculpatory evidence. This is a travesty of justice, by the way. Under pressure from a group of media outlets, the government finally released what it claims is the incriminating video showing the chemical spray, quote, attack against Sicknick. It didn't. The choppy video included recordings from several surveillance cameras, a few D.C. police officers and a bystander. Journalists continue to be frustrated by the Justice Department's suppression tactics. In a plea last week to Beryl Howell, chief judge of the D.C. District Court handling all the January 6th cases, 14 news organizations asked for better access to video evidence presented in court. Virtual court proceedings further help prosecutors keep the clips under wraps. The press and public have not been able to access these videos on the court's electronic dockets. Lawyers representing CNN, ABC News, The Wall Street Journal, and others wrote in a May 3rd letter. Delayed access to these historic records shuts the public out of an important part of the administration of justice. The government, the lawyers told Howell, refuses to give a substantive answer as to why the video evidence isn't publicly available and listed several cases where surveillance footage was played in court but not otherwise accessible. The secret video archive of January 6th isn't the only recording under scrutiny. It's also unclear whether Capitol Police kept the footage from January 5th. DiBiase said surveillance video is routinely deleted after 30 days. Only a very limited number of clips from January 5th were given to the U.S. attorney in D.C., the office handling the massive investigation. It would be very convenient for the Capitol Police, no objective party in this saga since it launched the lie about Sicknick's death, to purge footage from January 5th so defense attorneys and the public cannot see what sort of activity took place the day before the insurrection. An insurrection, of course, is in quotes because it was not an insurrection. 
So what exactly is the government trying to hide? How can activity inside and outside a public building be considered highly sensitive? In response to a Freedom of Information Act filing by Judicial Watch, Capitol Police told the group that recordings are not public records. But of course they are. A security system controlled by a federal agency in a public building paid for by taxpayers to conduct the public business of public officials is most certainly a public record. Even if legal loopholes allow for such an exemption, the greater public interest should supersede any technicalities. Major parts of the original narrative already have fallen apart, including the story that Officer Sicknick was murdered by Trump supporters and the myth it was an armed insurrection. The full account of what prompted the killing of Ashley Babbitt by an unidentified Capitol cop is still unknown. Further, the Biden regime is weaponizing January 6th to hunt down and destroy the lives of people, many of whom committed no violent crimes anywhere near the building that day. The Justice Department is promising to build sedition cases. Biden's intelligence chiefs are operating outside their authorization in their effort to portray regular Americans as domestic terrorists. A president was impeached for his alleged role. Republican lawmakers continue to face threats for objecting to the election results in swing states. And millions of Trump voters, by extension, are considered conspiracy theorists and wannabe insurrectionists. There's only one reason why the Justice Department wants to keep the footage under seal. It contradicts most, if not all, of the claims advanced by Democrats and the media over the past four months. Republicans, to the extent they can or will, and the media should demand the release of all the footage. Ditto for families of the defendants. The American public still doesn't know exactly what happened on January 6th, and it's clear the government will use any means necessary to keep it that way. And that right there is where we are. The Biden regime can say all it wants about transparency and everything else that they know sounds good. They just don't do any of it. And hilariously, in that Maddow clip I played before, you know how she's been talking for weeks about how this audit has no transparency. She was literally playing footage of the audit as it happened from the security cameras that are watching the entire audit. So she's playing the footage from an event that she claims is not transparent. These people are just liars. That's it. January 6th was a lie. Russian collusion was a lie. Donald Trump being somehow illegitimate was a lie. Michael Flynn doing something bad was a lie. Robert Mueller, that didn't work out very well, did it? How about Ukraine? How about the two impeachments? How about election fraud? How about BLM? How about coronavirus? All of it, every single bit of it is a lie. And they know it. And soon enough, the whole world's going to know it. Because nothing can stop what is happening. Every day for us is a win. Every day is closer to all of this getting fixed. And they're just busy hoping to create enough chaos that the American people stop paying attention to the most important things in their lives. And they know that that's the commies default position, but everyone else is waking up. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Mask and lockdowns do not work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. 
Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm your moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!